Welcome to Success Strategies for Dental Practice Owners, the podcast for dentists who are ready to take their practice to new heights. Join your host, Stan Kinder, who has worked with the profession over four decades and now represents practice owners interested in exploring a relationship with a DSO. On the show, he explores ways to grow your income and increase the value of your practice. Expect thoughtful conversations with influential guests who are pioneers in the dental industry. From insightful dental consultants to brilliant marketing experts, from accomplished dental practice owners to innovative dental manufacturers, this podcast will bring you a diverse range of perspectives. Success Strategies for Dental Practice Owners is here to equip you with the tools and information you need to thrive. Your practice's future begins right here. And now, here's your host, Stan Kinder. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of the uh, Success Strategies for Dental Practice Owners uh, podcast. I'd like to introduce today's guest, Dr. Cedric Lewis. I had the good fortune to meet uh, Dr. Lewis a couple of years ago. He is a very entrepreneurial dentist with a uh, large, multi-site successful group practice uh, in the enviable uh, location of Hawaii. And I think he's going to have an awful lot of perspective that will be useful uh, to the listeners today. So with that uh, said, let's go ahead and get started. Why don't we just sort of start maybe with you giving us sort of a summary uh, recap of your journey in dentistry? Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a local boy from Hawaii and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed, as you said before, you know, I, I've always had this attitude of being grateful where I'm from, but never satisfied of ever trying to get myself better in our practices and my career uh, headed in the right direction. So what I can tell you about my journey is that, uh, you know, I started out, uh, you know, coming out of dental school and, uh, Started out working in Oregon, actually, in the beginning, like many guys coming out of dental schools, you know, when you don't have any contacts or a mom or dad in the field, you jump into a DSO. And so I jumped into a fairly sizable DSO in the Northwest called Willamette Dental, which I have a lot of love for. They were great to me. They were the one of the, the uh, you know, really catalysts to get me to really start thinking about how to run a dental practice with more efficiencies and systems and well-managed uh, environments. And so that gave me the onus to think about, well, when I do it my way, I, I would love to be able to do that in Hawaii in some capacity because that was where I wanted to end up in. But going in there with eyes a little wide open. So I say that because as much as I had eyes wide open from the things I learned at uh, Willamette Dental, when I started my own dental practice, you know, the, the blinders quickly came on, right? I, I think my, my journey was one of like a lot of guys do is they jump into this practice thinking like, I'm going to do this high-end dentistry. I'm going to dominate the market because people are going to think how wonderful I am. And subsequently for the first year or so, I was literally broke. I had to move back into my parents. Uh, I literally had humble pie served enough where my father told me, you might want to think about leaving the profession and go to law school instead. So <laughs> I've definitely been down that well in terms of, uh, you know, basically having to climb my way out of it. But uh, the good news is that it really taught me that uh, uh, things I pride myself on, which are grit and resourcefulness. So what I ended up doing was uh, ended up kind of working as an associate doctor. And what I found when I was doing that there was a lot of opportunity for guys wanting me to cover their offices on the weekends or after hours. And subsequently, when I would go in there, I was incredibly business, incredibly busy, excuse me, and very productive. And I kind of thought there's got to be something to this. We can make a model on this that I can continue to kind of maybe think about making my own practice that has a similar kind of ways of doing business because people loved it. So 
what I ended up doing is after going through that process of kind of building myself back up and getting out of my parents' house, uh, I ended up getting to the point where I had an opportunity to get a dental practice in Honolulu from a guy who was not enjoying it from California. He had moved to Hawaii, didn't enjoy it, wanted to go back. And I just simply thought to myself, man, this is great. It's another it's an opportunity for me to really kind of put, uh, you know, kind of my plans into motion. And I did exactly that. While most people were practicing the proverbial eight to five money through Thursday, I started thinking like more kind of looking at dentistry, not just as a profession or a clinical um, mindset. I thought to myself, well, how do business people think about this? How do they look at this as being more of a service industry rather than a clinical industry? And so I just quickly learned that, okay, I'm going to start to kind of meet people on their terms and stop worrying about what I wanted to to do for patients and start figuring out what do patients want from me. And I found out that was convenient hours. It was access when they needed me and not having to wait around. And it was not screwing them around when it came to uh, handling their insurance and money. And so I proverbially just learned, like, just meet people on their terms and they'll give to you in abundance. And so that was something I, I took to heart and subsequently got to the point where I started to realize that every, you know, I would say benchmark of growth in my company, it was always about like, okay, how do I go about servicing the need? So I went from a small office in Honolulu, which ended up being about 900 square feet. We had maybe two ops and I just kept growing it by thinking to myself, I didn't live within the belief that only had this much space. I thought, well, there's more hours in the day to, to figure out how I can bring more patients in. So I quickly started to think about, well, how do service industries, how do restaurants do it? How do hotels do it? Well, they have shifts. They have People who come in the morning, that people who come in the afternoon, that people who come in the evening. So I stopped thinking about the dental practice concept as being one which was static in the in the lifestyles of dentists. I mean, I'm not a golfer, Stan. I'm not a big guy who has to have my Thursdays off or my weekends are, are privileged. I look at it as being like, I'm a businessman. I'm running a service industry. And if you're going to be serious about having a successful business, you have to get out of your own head and get in the heads of your customers and patients. So I just continually thought to myself, how are we going to grow this thing to really meet the community and the patient's mindset? And so everything was based upon more hours, more days. And so to kind of end this story, everything I did was based on creating hours and creating teams based on servicing the need of patients. So we went from that one little office in, uh, in, in Kahala, which was uh, near Waikiki, for those who don't know uh, Hawaii very well. And we subsequently decided, okay, we're going to go to a larger facility, same concepts. We're going to basically have more chairs this time, but more staff members. And as we started to maximize that space, the concept being, why won't this work someplace else? And so I started to think like many people do when they have a successful restaurant or a successful franchise, we got to go where the people are. And so we started to do due diligence. I found a location which was near Pearl Harbor where there's a ton of Navy dependents and ton of people who need to have their kids and their family taken care of plus the fact that it's in a really burgeoning uh, community where a lot of younger people move out they can't afford Honolulu so I just built a practice out there and same concepts and that grew and then in the last couple of years uh, I've had two other offices go and I was able to basically build a scratch office or de novo in a location during COVID. So COVID for me, you, were, you and I were talking, Stan, off, off air about like, you know, during times of crisis, those who are able to kind of move forward boldly and, and basically grow can actually do even better. And so I just thought when people, I found a lot of dentists were struggling during COVID and many of them were going out of business and there are guys who put these offices out and just, 
just abandoned it. And so I come in there and took it over from the landlord and was able to navigate a great deal and great uh, lease terms because they had lost their, their tenant and was able to take it over and subsequently build up as if it was a brand new Nova without paying all that construction costs, without paying for all that equipment. And it subsequently allowed us to use the same system. And then my last practice was one I acquired. I, I was always wanted to acquire an office to kind of balance it based on all the Denovas I did and the scratch I did. And I was able to find a really great practice owned by two doctors who are retiring. Uh, they'd had the practice for over 30 years and it was in a great spot in the Woodward side of the island uh, that allowed me to basically capture a really kind of a, a great community that is wonderful because it's kind of, uh, it has that nice country setting in Hawaii and it has a lot of uh, patients who are basically in the retirement age and people who are mostly kind of staying on that part don't come to Honolulu very much. And then when I had my hours, I was able to capture not only that market of people, but all the people who are working at eight to five and they want to come after hours. And so it's subsequently we're growing that as well. So I know that's a long explanation of kind of where I come from, but it does speak to where I came from. Yeah. Uh, because I think it's a, you know, it's a story that if people think and approach their practice and business in the way that you you have, in my mind, can be replicated. Yeah. You know, so there's some uh, some pretty significant lessons there. And it sounds so common sense when you say it. I talk to the dentist I interact with all the time about sort of shifting the mindset from thinking of your practice as the place where you practice your profession. So it's basically a job. Right. So really thinking about it as a business and what are the things that you can do to grow and expand that business and be more successful. Um, you know, you mentioned extended hours. One of the most successful practices I ever encountered and uh, was two guys that were partners and they each worked three 12 hour days every week. Mm -hmm. So basically the facility was treating patients 72 hours a week. And right. you compare that to the average dental practice that's seeing patients 32 hours a week. Mm -hmm. And, you know, needless to say, and they would, they would flip flop from week to week, uh, their staff loved it. Each had their own dedicated teams. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so the staff had a four-day weekend every every week. And, uh, I mean, they were just killing it. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about sort of what precipitated your sort of first steps into group practice as opposed to really thinking about, you know, solo practice and doing it all yourself. Yeah, I think the one thing for me came from just, again, the service model. I was very blessed that early in my career, I started rather than going to a lot of dental meetings that most dentists like to do, I surrounded myself with entrepreneurs and guys who ran their own companies in different industries. And I really got a, and a great uh, tutelage from a guy who ran a really successful restaurant. And I just just being able to hear from him, thinking to myself, you know, I can't be like, what, one thing he ran into in the beginning, he was telling me and he was listening to me complain and, and moan about how hard it was, how many hours I was putting in my office when I was at the beginning of my career. They looked at me and he goes like, why are you the one handling everything? You seem like you're the lightning rod for your business. Anyone who runs a business and has to grow, you can't be that guy. And so subsequently, what got me to think about group practice was understanding that it's not about me. It's about the business and the people within my company. And then I started to find out as it was less about me and more about the team, they were going to help grow the company. 
right? So subsequently, it was a great empowering understanding that if it's truly about you, you are basically going to be limited by your own ego and your own abilities. But once your company starts focusing on people and growing their dreams and their ambitions, the company grows past you. So that was kind of what I, I learned about it. And especially when you're with associate doctors, there has to be you know, a skin in the game for them that feels that they have something to grow into. They're not just working on your dreams. You got to be working on theirs. Right, right. That's great. You know, in your book, you talked about sort of a pretty significant turning point for you was your interaction with uh, Chris Ad. Talk to me a little bit about that. You know, what were the big takeaways from that? And how then did you implement those ideas in your practice and what were the results? Sure. Well, I'm going to give a lot of credit to the uh, the founder and CEO of that company, John Christensen, because, you know, people have their mindset about what they are as like a marketing company, they send out, you know, these mailers and, and that's kind of the concept of what they are. But he was one of the mentors of me, getting me to think along those lines of, you have to stop looking at your practice as being, to our point, just about you and your clinical acumen. You have to look at it as being serving others. You have to look at it as growing the business. So his main thoughts were, again, you know, he had this, he has a saying, he still says it today, if you don't open the flow, you're not going to grow. So the idea being behind that, he really taught me those concepts of looking at your practice like a means of servicing patients for a business, rather than looking at it simply as a means of giving clinical care to people. He goes, the clinical care, that's that's non-negotiable. You have to do wonderful dentistry, but stop thinking it has to be provided by you. What you should be doing as being the person who sets the vision and the mission, and you're the one who kind of keeps the excellence by actually training and bringing others into your practice to give them that same kind of tutelage that you've received so that you can grow that brand. And so he was really good about teaching me how to basically, rather than focusing on simply trying to basically handle more patients myself, of how to go about creating things like standing operating procedures, how to go about basically process oriented, how to go about being not just a marketer, but someone who is worried about managing kind of businesses along the lines of getting people oriented rather than looking at it about me as a clinician. So John Christensen, to me, is uh, a lot of times in our in, in the dental world is vilified as this guy who just sends out marketing. But I he is one of the brightest guys that I know when it comes. He, I mean, he's a marketing guy, but his business acumen and management style and, and vision is is pretty much, I think I've met some pretty smart business guys in different industries. I put him up at the top because he's really able to see past a lot of the stuff because he's so data-driven. And that's the other thing I would finish about talking about John and Chris said. The wonderful thing that all dentists can start learning is like you have to look at your key performance indicators. You have to be data driven because one thing he taught me and I'll say again, he keeps telling me, he goes, feelings will get you killed every time. It said any guy who tells you about their business, well, I feel like it's doing good. He knows he has to take a big, deep gulp because he knows they don't, they don't know what's going on in their own business. Yeah. Yeah. I've followed uh, uh, John and Chris Ad for a lot of years and uh, have recommended them to some clients of mine back in my consulting days. And similar to you, I was always impressed by sort of his macro vision. You know, he talks a lot about how to develop and structure a practice in a way that it's not dependent on what the owner dentist is doing with his or her two hands day to day. And that's that's really profound. It, it is, you know, and, and I think that's the one thing that I would share with your your listeners is that it's not so much that the belief that he puts together or that I promote is like just building this like behemoth of a business. 
I mean, if you really think about it, it's about basically caring for yourself as well, because we all know that dentistry is a very physical profession. And, and we all know the stories about dentists getting back surgeries and guys who are breaking down or guys when they finally retire, they're just broken human beings. And and you and I have both seen these people. I've seen these guys. I have very I have mentors who are still facing those challenges. And I think the one thing that my takeaway was with him and people like him is like, they're just trying to create a model that allows you to basically grow something without you getting beat up in the process. And at the same time, enriching others around you. That's why I thought it was so great. Yeah, I'm a uh, kind of an acolyte and follower of Dan Kennedy. I don't know yep. if you've ever read any of his. He's a coach, great one. Yeah, but he he preaches all the time about designing your business in a way that it supports your desired lifestyle. Right. And that's exactly what you're talking about. You see so many dentists. I was a psychology uh, major as an undergrad, and I wrote a paper on suicide. I'll never forget this. And the two leading professions in terms of per capita suicide rates, and they tended to flip you know, from one year to the next, were dentists and psychiatrists. And the conjecture was in the literature that for psychiatrists, it was because that many of them enter the profession in pursuit of trying to solve their own their own issues. Mm -hmm. And so they come with some heavy bags. And for dentists, it's a function of sort of the lifestyle that the profession requires, you know, very rigid time schedules, you know, spending your time seeing people that aren't necessarily thrilled to see you. Yeah. And, you know, just encountering all the stress and aggravation of uh, trying to manage a business. And unfortunately, dental schools don't equip dentists in that regard. So unless somebody does what you did and sort of forge their own path to seek that knowledge, um, they're kind of lost in the wilderness uh, to some degree. Yeah, I agree. And I, I mean, so that's a little bit of something that I, I feel passionate about. I'm always trying to, you know, pour that concept into the guys that I work with. Like, I don't want them to be kind of in that range where they feel as if that's really all that's there for them. You know, I think it's something where any group practice uh, leader, anyone that's on the profession should be basically trying to help those who are trying to have a good profession and a good life outside of it. Right. And I think I'm a big believer. I want to eradicate that, that kind of perception because there is so much good. I mean, I really, I really feel like when you meet the normal dentist and again, there's all personalities that come in different shapes, sizes, and but I kind of feel the reason they got in there is they're nurturers, right? They want to help people. They realize already that people don't like them, right? And so it's a noble profession in the sense that you're taking care of people knowing full well they don't want to be around you. Right. And there has to be some level of appreciation for that. So I'm always trying to let these guys know, you know, let's measure ourselves outside of the, you know, kind of the, the narrative that may be out there and look at it as being like you're serving others. And that's kind of something that's very noble in its own right. And then at the end of the day, let's find a way they can practice so they have the balance. So they're not working in the chair all the time. They have the ability, if they so choose to just be an associate doctor or work in a group practice where they'll make great money, but they've got a healthy lifestyle that when they, and I always tell my doctors this, when you're outside the office, I don't want to hear from you. Just live your life enjoy yourself because when you're in the office i want you focused but outside don't worry about emergencies i got you we have you we'll take care of it for you right right and that sort of leads me to my next question uh, in your book you talk uh pretty emphatically about the importance of culture 
Yeah. And I'd like you to speak to that and then kind of the related question. You know, I think a lot of guys that look to build a group practice end up being challenged by finding and retaining good talent. Yeah. Uh, not only at the at the dentist level, but also, you know, across the entire practice organization, uh, you know, assistants, front desk people, managers, et cetera. So speak to me a little bit about those two things. One is sort of attracting and retaining talent and sort of organizational culture. What are the kinds of things that you've done to be successful in those realms? Yeah. So, I mean, what I would tell you is that there's some days where I feel like I've got it mastered, other days where I feel like I'm an infant when it comes to a culture and management of it all. And I think anyone who's done it long enough will be very humble about it because it's constantly evolving, right? So, but the one thing I did, I can share in regards to what was a big turning point for me or tipping point, what I would say was that, you know, I am very driven toward achievement and, and hitting numbers and making sure that where the practice is going in the right direction. And it's important for you as the leader of the organization to have an eye on that. It's, it is your job to make sure the company is doing well, the top line, the bottom line, and making sure you can pay the bills, obviously. But if that becomes your sole driving cultural force in the practice, that's when things go sideways. And that, for me, was all I learned the hard way. So I would share with you that I went through that challenge. That caused me to think about it. So the big change for me personally when I went through this is I had a giant turn up honest. I had a giant turnover that happened to me uh, in early in my career where I was building the practice, building the, the multiple locations and subsequently took my eye off the ball of interacting with people on their terms. Meaning that I started to basically drive it based on hit the number rather than how can I help you guys? Right. Or what's going on? How can I be solution-based? So what I would share in a microcosm of it all is that I think my perspective when it comes to culture is leaders need to be servant leaders. They can't be ones who are top down in this industry, any industry for that matter, because if you want to grow something, the team has to feel as if you're with them. And more importantly, you're there to help them, not basically give make them do your tasks, so to speak. So I made it an effort to basically, when I have meetings, I always lead with three questions, you know, what's working, what's not working, and how can I help you? And that's always how I lead all my meetings with my doctors, to my managers, to my team. So they always understand I'm in it with there with them. And more importantly, it's about them, not me, because I have found that it's as antiquated and it's silly, but people don't care how much you know until they realize how much you care. And so I learned that very succinctly, that that's the only way I could help lead and move people to kind of meet the common goals we had as a company. Yeah. Yeah, and to speak to your that, question that, about that, go ahead, go ahead. That resonates with me because I've I've long felt that anybody in sort of a a managerial or leadership role, their primary responsibility is to eliminate the obstacles that impede the performance yeah. of the people that report to them. And that's there's kind of a famous business book written by a guy named Elihu Govrat that uh, he talks about constraints mm -hmm. and that. Any business process can only go as fast as its points of constraint. Agreed. So if you can eliminate those or expand them, then it creates, uh, to use your term, flow. And uh, you're able to achieve much better performance as a consequence. And it's a kind of an interesting way to think about uh, uh, things in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how you personally spend your time on a day-to-day -day basis now. 
Yeah. So my database basis is like, you know, I basically try to do most of my days. I'm, if you, I always laugh because when people want to know what I do, as I just show them my calendar, and it's got all, every single hour is usually accounted for with either meetings or, or checking with doctors or looking at strategy or so. I would say a typical day for me usually lasts about, I get up pretty early. I mean, I, I make no bones about it. I, I'm kind of always early riser. I get up every morning at four and wow. at four o'clock. <laughs> yeah, I get up early. I get up at four o'clock. It's because it's literally the only time where it's completely my own, right? So what I do at four is I typically get up and I have like, and it sounds silly, but I have daily gratitude. Like I get up and I think about what I'm happy for. I'm happy for my my wife, my son, and how they're healthy. Uh, and I sit there and I also do that. And I think about like what I'm you know, very fortunate to have in terms of my own health. And I start to kind of journal a bit about it. And I think about my day and like, can I kind of figure out, okay, what are the three things I need to accomplish today and what one thing is going to stop me from doing it. Like, is there a thing that I can think about that's going to challenge me from making those things happen? So that's how I usually spend that first kind of, you know, half an hour to an hour a day. And then I typically I'll get up at five and I'll, you know, I just stretch and this is, I'm 54 years old. I'm not getting any younger. And uh, in order to keep, uh, you know, basically I'm child kid, by my standards, I'll be 72 yeah. on Friday. <laughs> it's okay, man. You look good. <laughs> but I just, yeah, a lot of it's for me, it's physical fitness. I use a uh, workout in the morning and then uh, I get my stay started by typically I'm getting my, my reports from uh, my KPS. I work with a company called team care who runs all my, they pull all this data from all my software and my companies. And I get their, this litany of reports of how we're doing. And I basically use that as my means to check in, to find out what things need my, my focus. But again, when I do look at those KPIs, it has to kind of meet those first three things I said my day is going to be re revolving around. And after I do that, typically it's a matter of usually checking into my manager. So I drive around. Thankfully, I've only got four locations. And so it's small enough where I'm able to check in. It's an island, so we're not that wide apart, where I can kind of check in on my team and Typically, there's always something that's burning a bit where I have to kind of put the flames out a bit. And so I do a lot of personal mentoring with my managers. I'll, I'll meet with a doctor. Sometimes I'll be there to kind of help cover the chair to kind of show a doctor about certain procedures. But uh, I'm happy to say that at one point, it was me kind of showing these doctors how to do different procedures. Now it's like, really what I've learned, it's like how to relate to people better, how to tell, how to show them how to talk and communicate, how to show them how to deal with like a those proverbial drama cases that happen within their own practice with their team or other patients. And that's what I really enjoy doing is going there and kind of providing them kind of like an idea of how it looks, you know, how do you go about, you know, basically representing yourself in a way that's both professional, but endearing. Right. So yeah. that's kind of what I enjoy to do going around a typical day. And then, uh, you know, oftentimes most of my day, oftentimes is trying to instill means of like, you know, inspiration for my my doctors to continue to basically try to be better. Like one of the things I, I find with my uh, young doctors these days is that there's a certain belief that when they hit adversity, they suddenly get stuck. And I mean, I'm, I'm not sure whether it's generational stem. You could probably speak to this more because you have a lot of clients, but I found it and I, I want to help here because it seems to be a challenge that a lot of my younger generation dentists get really caught where I'm usually as my generation used to be like, I remember hearing things like suck it up or like, Hey man, this is tough. This is where the tough guys get going, you know? And I find now that I can't leave that way because it doesn't resonate anymore. So right. my right. job is constantly asking how I can help. What's going on? What's bothering? What are we going to do to help you get through this so that you feel that you can get through this on your terms, not my terms. And so that's typically my day. I mean, I, I guess a lot of it's coaching, Stan, coaching, mentoring, um, 
when they need me in the chair, which they try to get me out of there more often or not, because I feel I talk too much to the patients, like, Doc, you just need to stop talking <laughs> to the dentistry. Uh, what's the total number of dentists in your organization yeah. currently? Yeah, we've got we've got 20, including me. So I've got 19 associate doctors currently. Some are full-time, some are part-time. And so I've kind of embraced the, at one point I used to only do full-timers, I've embraced the need to kind of meet people on their terms and what works for their schedules and then work them within our own office. Yeah. Yeah. And so you still own 100 percent of the 100 percent. Yep. 100 percent of the office. I, you know, we're, we're considering at this point, I do have a few associate doctors been with me for a while who are looking for uh, the next step. And, and I'm looking at that. But uh, I think the issue for me is is always going to be along the lines of, you know, will they meet the vision that allows the practice to keep growing? Because what I do find when I do talk to these guys and they realize, wait a minute, I got to do all that besides just being the chair. Well, well, that's kind of what it's like to be an owner. But as I'm going through this stand, I think I'm learning a lot from other larger practice owners. Like they don't necessarily have to be involved in that. They just need the equity. And as long as we can kind of keep them happy and keep them doing the dentistry, there's a big value to that. So I'm learning that as I go along. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, different ways to potentially peel that onion. Right. Um, you know, they could run from something like a retention bonus Right. Well, they had the ability to make some more money over and above what they produced chair side based right. on their long-term uh, tenure and success with the practice. I, I think there's a lot of different ways to do it. And the truth of the matter is an awful lot of the younger generation of practitioners don't want ownership. Right. You know, they want to go in, see patients, do their dentistry, get their paycheck and go home. Yeah. It's interesting, uh, you know, I saw a statistic from the American uh, Dental Education Association that in 2019, the average dental school grad finished with like $283,000 of educational debt. Yeah. And so, you know, those youngsters are interested not so much in taking out a loan and buying and starting a practice as much as getting in a place where they can produce a predictable income, service their debt and earn a, a living salary that uh, lets them live the lifestyle that they that they desire. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's an interesting time to be sort of operating a group practice in my judgment, because I think there's a lot of drivers that make it in some ways easier than it used to be historically. You know, yeah. historically, an associate would come in if they were at all productive, you know, two, three years, they want to do their own thing. And you'd lose them and have to start over with a greenhorn that uh, right. really is productive or capable or uh, able to operate independently. Yeah. Do you have any particular bonus systems or provisions for your staff? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, We kind of bonus them based on behaviors we want. So I kind of design you know, obviously we're at extended hours. And so we believe in what's called primetime hours for our hygiene appointments. So we have found through data that our patients who come on the weekends and typically after five are those who are pretty busy working their jobs eight to five Monday through Friday. And we have found they typically have better insurance plans. They typically have more uh, money, to be honest, and they actually are able to do the dentistry. And so what we do is we want to have our team schedule our patients who have those particular hours in the weekends and the prime time. So we bonus them $10 per prime time appointment 
above and beyond the average. So what I do is just an encapsulate it is that we at we, we look at a three month rolling average of our prime time appointments for hygiene and any patient above that that average, we're gonna pay the front office team and the assistants who service those patients ten dollars a patient. Wow, that's yep. great. Yep. That's great. Yeah, so this many I have many bonus plans. That's one of them, but a lot of it's driven toward those concepts. Like our hygienists make more money during prime time. Uh, we have we typically have revenue bonuses for the team based on our performance and on a quarterly basis. And so I honestly feel if you're going to be a practice that's going to be able to have these things in place, like the extended hours, and you're you're looking for the outliers typically when you're recruiting for a, a company like mine, because I remember my competition are the guys who work in the eight to five model and they have, they have nicer hours and easier work schedules. And so in order for me to capture and attract talent, there's got to be something in it for those kind of people. And that's how I drive the, the company culture in that capacity as well. Yeah. If you had to characterize or isolate what you think have been, you know, the key driver or drivers of your success, uh, how would you describe it? I heard this, uh, that's just I heard, but I've talked to people about this before. For me, it's it's a growth mindset. I really feel as if one of the biggest things that drives me is always having a belief that, you know, I'm very focused on, I don't really feel like I have all the answers, so I'm constantly trying to learn and grow. And understanding that even though I might have had the skill set of what I'm trying to do at the moment, that I'm going to figure it out, I'm going to work, because it gives me great hope and it gives me great to, you know, value in regards to growing something. So growth mindset's really something important if you're going to want to be someone who's going to be more than just a small practice. Yep. And the other side of that coin, you know, what have been, you know, the issue or issues that have been the most profoundly challenging for you? Yeah, the most profoundly challenging for me uh, has always been um, when you are, like I say, I'm a growth mindset, Right. But for the most part, you have to understand that most people don't have that mindset. And so the biggest challenge which I face today, which I've, I've learned to be a lot more solution-based and servant-based around, is understanding that you have to be able to work with people who don't think and act like you do. But at the same time, take enough care and be authentic about caring what they want so you can meet their needs. And so they subsequently get a, you have a really great relationship of reciprocity rather than one of constantly battling each other's ideals. And, you know, having said all these things, uh, if you look in the crystal ball, sort of what's the future look like? Yeah. What's the future? Uh, for, for Cedric Lewis. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I've maybe I've asked, what's your exit going to be? I'm like, my exit. I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, like, I, I kind of feel like I really enjoy what I do as stressful as it can be. And I, and I have my ups and I have my many downs. Uh, I just, I really enjoy the challenge. I think the future for me holds, I'm going to continue to look at growth opportunities for our current locations. Maybe it means acquiring more dental practice. Maybe it means growing more locations. Uh, and then my big hope is that I really want to grow outside of Hawaii, meaning that I'd like to find a way, like to your point about partners, I love being around uh, growth-centric people in dentistry. They're fun, they're exciting. And I would like to think in the future, hopefully, hopefully sometime soon, where I can merge a group with other partners like this and create a larger organization that we can all work and grow together so that I can be around other people who can be my brothers and sisters in arms and they can teach me things and I can teach them 
And so we're growing something bigger than ourselves. And so I can be proud at one point and say, yeah, I'm a part of this group in Texas, or I'm a part of this group in Oregon, I'm a part of this group in Delaware, and we're all in it together. And we're all trying to create some really great organization. That's kind of where my heart is. And hopefully that lands in that direction. Yeah. yeah. Um, at some point, uh, I should potentially connect you with, uh, with another client of mine. Uh, he's got uh, a group practice in the Southeast with 20 plus offices. Great. And he's about your age. I mean, he grew it in a very short period of time and continues to grow it. Uh, um, you guys have a lot of sort of similar ways of, uh, uh, of thinking, for sure. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think would be an important uh, thing to communicate to the audience? Yeah, you had mentioned that I didn't answer the question. I apologize about like your question about how we go about recruiting talent, because as you mentioned before, that is one of the most, I guess, largest challenges for people trying to scale or grow a group. And I think the one thing I would share with you would be, and this has made a big difference for me in my own group, um, is constantly be recruiting. Like I basically I took the time to hire a full-time recruiter uh, that I basically found through um, a group called Trade Builders who basically have built many different industries, some of them dental, some of them medical, some of them other trades. And now I've got a guy in my team who's just always recruiting. And so to your point about like culture is great, but you can have the best culture and people do move on. And so you have to be insulated against that. And so I just would tell any guy who's doing this, who's struggling now because they can't get the right talent or having turnover is that sometimes it is you, but sometimes it's not, right? And I think in order to insulate yourself, you have to create a business that has a constant team who's constantly trying to attract talent and hire them. And it's made a world difference to me because it's allowed me now to sleep at night, understanding that if someone does leave, I've got someone already in the pipeline to find to help me kind of build into the practice. So that's a little nugget that I think sometimes could help people who are struggling with growth right now. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, so this has been... Uh really really valuable you've uh, provided a ton of great content i i so very much appreciate your uh, agreeing to do this one last question if someone would like to get a hold of you um and maybe ask you some questions directly what's the best way for them to do that yeah i'm i'm very happy to talk to anyone about this so i i'm just giving my cell phone i'm i'm, I'm usually pretty good about uh, getting back to people if they got needs or questions uh, my cell phone's uh, 808- 349-3165. And they can always hit me up on my email. I might not hit you up on the on the text real fast, but on my email, I'm pretty good about re, re, uh, recovering and picking up all those emails that I get all day. Uh, you can reach me reach me at uh, Dr. Period Lewis, that's L-E-W-I-S, at kukuasmiles.com. So it's K-U-K-U-A smiles.com. So, I mean, feel free to reach out to me. I love interacting with doctors and I love talking through things and and as much as I like to dispense advice, I'd like to get advice. So I'm always happy to hear. And, and sure, sure. Well, let's uh, let's stay in touch. And as you sort of contemplate next steps, I'd uh, I'd be more than happy to serve as a sounding board for you as you sort of uh, cogitate over different alternatives and think about ways or directions to go. Well, I appreciate it, Stan. You've been so kind that I, I'm really privileged to have spent some time with you and learn from you. But yeah, I'm taking you up on that. I'll give you a call one of these days, let you know what's going on about some things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Well, cool. have a great day, continued success. And again, thanks so much for doing this. Mm -hmm. I work with a third-party firm to 
do the production work in these podcasts. So once I get all the post-production stuff done, I'll make sure and get a copy of the podcast in your hands. Awesome. I appreciate that. Thanks again. Sure thing. Have a good one. You too, buddy. Take care. This has been Success Strategies for Dental Practice Owners. We hope you gain valuable insights and practical wisdom that will guide you on your journey to success with your practice. To visit Stan Kinder on the web, go to www.everythingdso.com. If you found today's episode helpful, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an opportunity to hear brilliant insights from dental industry insiders. Remember, whether you're planning your next strategic move, seeking ways to enhance your practice's value or dreaming of expanding your dental empire, we're here to guide you on your way to success.